Hello and welcome to Inside Retail, the podcast brought to you by Edited, the world's leader in retail intelligence. In this podcast series, we explore both the opportunities and the challenges that the retail industry is facing with myself, Grace Hill, Edited's Director of Retail Strategy. Today, I'm joined by a guest that I'm so excited for you to meet, Cheryl Clark, President and CEO of Boston Proper. Boston Proper is in Boca Raton, Florida, and is fashion's best kept secret for women over 40, making on-trend, unique, high-quality fashion that works for every occasion. Cheryl has over 35 years of retail experience working for the major players, including Old Navy, The Gap, and Bloomingdale's. Her story is one of success, passion, determination, and breaking that glass ceiling. Hi, Cheryl. It is so wonderful to have you on the podcast. Uh, as I said before, I know you're a seasoned pro at this, um, having heard you on previous podcasts. But as something new that we'd like to try um, before we deep dive into the exciting world of Boston Proper um, and your experience, we wanted to learn a little bit more about you. Um, I don't know, have you seen Vogue's 73 Questions before? I have. <laughs> Yes. So this is our version, but more like 7.3 questions. Um, so the first one is, if you met someone who hadn't heard of Boston Proper, how would you describe the brand in three words? So I was thinking about this because there's so many words that I use to describe Boston Proper, but I think the three key words would be redefining age-appropriate fashion. Amazing. And what's the one thing that most brands get wrong about the over 40 customer? I think it's fit. I really think um, when you think about Boston Proper and what we do and what we strive to do every day is really make sure that our fashion is age trend and fit appropriate. Because as a woman ages, those three things are really the defining factors on getting it right for her and then her feeling then confident that the clothes she's picking are right for her. What metric or KPI would your coworkers say that you are obsessed with within the business? I'm pretty obsessed with sales. Um, like we call it demand here um, because it really is how the customer votes. We look at that as the indicator of are we are we hitting the right trends for her? Is she liking it? And then we go to the rest of the, the metrics to all support that because if she's buying, then then there are things that she likes and we're, we're satisfying her needs. But then as you peel back the onion, there are definitely other KPIs that get deeper and deeper. You know, we look at return rates, we look at fit comments because because those help us then decide where we can improve as we go forward. What's the first thing you do when you get to the office? So the first thing I do when I get to the office is actually set my dog up. So I have an Alaskan Klee and his name is Ezra and he comes to work with me every day. So everyone's allowed to bring their pet to work as long as they've got them. You know, if it's a cube, you've got a little gate. So Ezra comes to work with me every morning. So my first thing I do is basically make sure his water is fresh and he's got food. And then I go and check my emails. But I'm a truly morning person. So I get up around five and I, I go to spin in Pilates. But in between, I'm always checking emails. So I check my emails like probably for the third time. Um, I get to work around 8.30. So I probably check them for the third time. And then my day usually starts with meetings around 9.30. So we're going to get into the main bulk of the questions now, Cheryl. So could you start off by telling us about your background in retail and your role at Boston Proper? 
Sure. So I grew up in a very small town outside of Albany, New York called Schenectady. I always wanted to work in fashion and my dad was a lawyer and his dream was literally for me to go into law and probably stay in Schenectady. Um, for me, that wasn't what I wanted. I was so passionate about creating this, this fashion job for myself and, and actually running a company at some point. So after much negotiation, I did convince my parents to allow me to go to school for business and fashion, which allowed me then to get to New York City, which was my dream. From there, I got a job in the executive training program at Bloomingdale's. I was super incredibly happy to get into the Bloomingdale's training program. I feel like their training program back in 1987 was one of the best. And I learned a lot to help prepare me for my future. So after there, I was there for six years and then I left and I went to Gap. So I moved to San Francisco with my husband. I was there for 16 years. It was a great experience, but it was an opportunity for me now. I wanted to try something different. And I knew becoming a, a president in a big corporation wasn't going to be the next step to set me up for long-term success. I was looking for something a little smaller. And really, at the time, I was looking for something a little different than vertical specialty that was so broad in who their customers were. And I knew the internet was up and coming and I didn't really have experience there. So I felt like for my own personal uh-huh. self, I needed to learn the, the the internet and like how it was working and what it did. And I know it seems so crazy now, but 14 years ago, it was still new. <laughs> so I had gotten a call from a recruiter and she said, I have the perfect job for you, Cheryl. And I was like, okay, what 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 is it? I'm so excited. And she said, this company called Boston Proper. And I was like, I'm not moving to Boston and I'm not proper. And her response back was, well, the good news is is they're based in Boca Raton, Florida, and they're not proper. And that was like so exciting to me because I thought, wow, this seems like it could be a good opportunity. I did my research. I found the company so enticing for me because they were so focused on who their customer was. I flew down to Boca. I met the team. I met the founder, Michael Tiernan, and I, I truly fell in love. I wanted this job more than anything at the time. And I I was so excited when I got it and to start this new stage in my life. It's been an incredible experience and I've never looked back. In terms of never looking back, I mean, you've evidently had huge success in your role at Boston Proper with over $100 million in sales last year. It's a market leader in age-appropriate fashion for women over 40. And one thing I would love to know is, you know, how are you redefining fashion for your customer? Our goal is to be the curator of clothes for all occasions in Lucy's life. So we call our customer Lucy because we have a very intimate relationship with her. So our goal is really to build her confidence so that she understands anything she buys from Boston Proper. One, it will be perfect for the occasion she's buying it for. And two, it will be age, trend, and fit appropriate so that she can go out there and boldly be confident that she looks good and that in turn will help her feel good which then means she's going to have an amazing time. I think what's so incredible is how you focus on that confidence element as well and that empowerment of your customer. How have you kind of leveraged data to inform those decisions? We have, a, we have a bunch of things we're obsessed with. I think the first is data is really the guiding factor here. And I would say that's a relatively new data point like that we're, we're looking at. Like we really 
you know, I, I grew up at the Gap, and at the Gap, you know, part of what we learned is that you have to lead the customer, and you know, the customer's not going to tell you what she wants. You've got to lead her. So I have that in my brain, and I've got my experience and gut on one side, but I can't tell you the the past three years or so where we've been using data to guide that gut and experience. I believe has been the turnaround in our business and has allowed us to really connect with Lucy and understand what her wants and needs are because the data gives us guardrails to move in between. It doesn't stifle us. You know, I think sometimes merchants and designers think data like puts you in a corner mm-hmm. and, and doesn't allow you to expand. I actually think it gives you more bandwidth to think about things in a different way. And then as you focus them down, you're going to nail what your customer wants and your success rate will be so much more. I believe my team really spends a ton of time really looking at fit. I think the data is a big differentiator in our current success. And I think how we look at fit, we think through and we develop and procure patterns that are appropriate for her. So we think about how the clothes are going to fit on her body. We look at novelty and print to think, you know, if if you're a 50-year-old woman, not every print is going to work. So you've got to basically kind of really put yourself in Lucy's shoes and think about things and then think about where she's wearing it and paying attention to every detail, taking every extra effort with our technical design team to get the shape and fit of each garment so that it's modern, it's flattering, and it's comfortable. Those are the things that Mm -hmm. keep our brand fresh and unique. And they're the things that help us bring excitement to our customer and then allows her to stand out whenever she's going out with her friends. And that I love because when we talk to our customers, she says she doesn't even want to tell her friends where she bought her clothes because it's like it's her best kept secret. And so we often refer to the brand as fashion's best kept secret because our customers don't like to tell people where they got it because they don't want them to know and they want to be the standout. Absolutely. That makes total sense. Obviously, you've spoken a lot about the key differentiators in assortment planning for an over 40s woman in fashion. Um, But I guess versus that under 40s, like are there trends that you see maybe that transcend generations where you see some important crossover based on your experience, uh, both at Boston Proper and at other retail organizations? I think overall, women really want to look, they want to look flattering. They want to look pretty in the clothes. They want their clothes to fit them. And they want to, I I believe there's just, when you look in the mirror, when you try something on, right, you want to look like good and you want to feel confident that you look good. That desire women have no matter what their age is, right? They want to make sure that the clothes are flattering to their bodies. So for us, I think, you know, when we look at that and then we look at things like color and 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 patterns and certain trends like so there might be a trend out there that's amazing right I, I we talked a lot about uh, honestly bike shorts right when bike shorts came out and Kim Kardashian was wearing bike shorts out to dinner and yes. on dates we talked about this trend and said listen is it right for Lucy and as we talked through it we realized there's no way Lucy's wearing a bike short on a date she's wearing it to walk she's wearing it to exercise but it's not happening so I think part of what our team has to do is discern what trends are really right what trends actually go across almost all customers to your 
point. And that's where when we look at the ones that cross a lot of different age groups, it's usually in our in our basics or our essential styles that, you know, they're right for anybody. And I also think there's a lot of our dresses and styles that we have that definitely halo to a younger customer. But in our assortment planning and using our data, we have to stay focused on the customer and on Lucy, because what has happened, and I appreciate you saying, you know, God, you've had so much success. To be perfectly honest, I've had a lot of success, but I've also had a lot of failures. And I'm a, I'm of the belief that the failures are the things that help you understand better than anything how to turn the business around, how to keep the business on track, and not, how not to fall into those kind of traps as you move the business forward. So I have to keep the, the design and merchandising team focused on a 50 plus, because then I can ensure that we're hitting the right target for Lucy. I guess one thing that has, you talk about failures and things that haven't maybe worked so well. One thing I am curious about, are there categories that are notoriously challenging, maybe for that over 40 from your experience? I think for for women over 40, I think there's a, there's a work there's like kind of a weekend casual and then there's like the date night and occasion. That's kind of how we group the end uses of our product. And I feel like all three have some challenging parts to them, right? As work gets more casual, understanding what polished casual is and polished chic for Lucy as she's going to work and, and giving her versatile pieces is super important. But it's challenging because she wants things that she can build upon so that she can go to work and feel professional and confident. So I think that one we're always trying to think about, is she wearing this to work? Is this okay? Is it versatile enough so that she can build other, you know, use it as a building block to other outfits that she's building? So I think that's important. I think then when you go to the other side, where you're actually like really casual and on on the weekends, that's hard too, because you don't want to look sloppy. And I think that was a little bit of a challenge during COVID. We, We saw our active, our athleisure categories grow significantly because I feel like Lucy didn't actually have these these items for for more casual that were refined and and flattering. I think flattering is is probably the word that that best suits in there. So we were able to come up with some really great lounge and athleisure wear that was really right for Lucy based on the attributes that she likes in our other categories. And obviously, you have a very clear understanding of those lifestyle elements and those categories that are important to Lucy. And we know that you've kind of had great success in having that category expansion and seeing further white space opportunity. How are you going about identifying these opportunities and and what data points are you focused on to uncover that untapped potential? So at Boston Proper, we use three things religiously. We use data, we use customer insights, and we use industry trends. The data and the industry trends, we use edited to help us really understand what's happening in the marketplace. So those things together really help feed the product team and the creative team to make sure that they're executing and evolving what's happening in Lucy's life. Where we saw a downtrend in what we call night out and occasion during COVID and, and the weekend part was growing. We're now seeing kind of a little bit of a, of, of a trend here where 
date night and, you know, girls night out as well as occasions are growing. Data is definitely pointing us in that direction. So as we evolve and as we go and create each new line, we're, we're definitely pushing those categories because the attributes in the data are showing us that's what Lucy wants right now. And are there any attributes within the data when it comes to that going out, date night, that's maybe different or unexpected to what you maybe have seen previously or pre-pandemic? I I think that what's happening is we're seeing her going back, right? So one shoulder tops, off the shoulder tops, like we're just seeing a a little bit more body conscious, but not not to the degree that it used to be. But there's a sexiness, I would call it, coming back into Lucy's life. And so it's up to us to make sure we're doing it in a way that's age appropriate. So, you know, one of the things we really pride ourselves on is while Lucy does want to, you know, she's not a traditional customer. She wants to kind of show off. She wants to be out there and she wants to be seen, but she also wants to make sure she's doing it in a very age appropriate way. So when we can, when we can kind of, I I always say peel back the onion all the way down and use the data to understand what what things are most important or what attributes are most important to her, then we can use those attributes to help guide our assortment planning as we go into the new new lines that we're building and developing and designing. Obviously, it's important to note that you guys were previously a catalog business, right? And Boston Proper as a brand has very successfully transformed from that business model into a thriving e-commerce experience. How did you approach building an e-commerce site that was complementary to the history of the catalog? You know, it, it, th- this is a constant challenge for us because we are very much, you know, we have a lot of people on the team that were here from the beginning. And even me at 14 years, I'm probably still, I, I, I have people who have been on the, on the team for over 20 years and they've got rich experience to help guide us. But we also have to look forward. So in looking to the future, the team at Boston Proper was determined to introduce a more streamlined shopping experience. And we knew that in order to provide her with the best wardrobing options, we had to be able to allow her to have a great experience. We had to have things like outfitting that really shows her how to pull an outfit together because she's not in a store and she doesn't have a a live person there helping her pull those things together. So it's really important for the marketing team and the creative team to make sure that whether we we break out the occasions for her on the website and then give her examples of how to wear things. Those were really important. We also moved our customer experience center back to Boca so that we could control the experience she has on the phone with our our call center executives because they're really talking to her directly. They're getting feedback and hearing from her what she wants. So when you tie that all together, right, we knew that we had to upgrade our website. So upgrading our website platform to Shopify Plus is going going to allow us to provide Lucy a fast, seamless customer experience. And that's important, especially as more and more of our our customers are shopping on mobile. You've got to make that experience easy for her. So to facilitate that, we built an infrastructure that was necessary to keep driving the website conversion for the company and also give us real time data so that we could then use that data to make sure we're making good decisions as we move forward. How have you seen your customers behavior shift kind of post pandemic? You know, how have you seen them interacting with your different channels during that time? I think, I think what we're realizing now is that 
Lucy's back to being busy. What we're realizing is on holidays, like where Lucy was probably shopping last year and the year before because she was home and she couldn't be doing the dinners and the family gatherings and all of that. She was shopping. And what we saw this year is a slowdown on those actual holidays because she's now spending time with her family. And and that's great. We just have to then anticipate that we've got, you know, when holidays are happening, Lucy's focused on her family again and social gatherings. And then we've got to make sure we're surrounding those those time periods with great shopping opportunities for her. The shift to kind of e-commerce has influenced your marketing strategy as well. So how have you had to adapt your marketing strategy off the back of that move to e-commerce? I think there's a couple of things. First of all, really moving away from the catalog being the single, I would say the single biggest marketing vehicle we had and actually saying the catalog is part of an overall marketing strategy that includes a, a digital strategy that includes social and, you know, all Facebook and affiliates and all of the organic marketing and SEO and all of that stuff now has moved to the forefront. So when you look at your spend over the years, having been here for 14 years, you know, we used to spend a hundred percent on the catalog. That's where the marketing dollars went. Last year, we actually spent 55% of our money in digital and only 45% in catalog because we see the importance of connecting with her digitally. Email is a tremendous opportunity. SMS, we've had great success with. And then with social, you know, Lucy's social. So she's on all the social sites as well. So we've seen a dramatic shift from the catalog being a marketing vehicle that drives her to the web. And then the websites got to get the conversion because, you know, we can put as much traffic as we want, but if the website isn't converting her through the look and feel of what we're doing, through the marketing messages in the store, we're telling, then we won't win. So I think that whole focus has really allowed us to really support that team, make sure that team's got the right players, really spend a lot of time ensuring our stories and our voice are consistent and strong. Those are all the things that have have come to the forefront. And while the catalog is still super important, it's, it's really digital that we see our future in. I guess as well, what's fascinating, right, about an e-commerce site versus a catalog, you don't have any of the data points on the pages of the catalog. You can't see, you know, where she's looking, where she's spending her time, what she's like, you know, you know, maybe annotating in real life or, you know, bending the page and saying, I'm going to come back here and I want to, you know, look at that dress or purchase that dress. Whereas you have that ability on an e-commerce site and all of those data points to really understand her journey. What is it that she's interacting with? So you, as you said, you can adapt your stories and understand the messaging to see actually what is she, what's resonating with Lucy. And I guess one thing you mentioned social, obviously back in 2019, um, I saw that you shared that Facebook only made up 10% of your marketing spend. Um, how do you view social media for over 40s post-pandemic? The data is showing us what sites she's on. I think one of the biggest things we've just realized is how important Pinterest is to the Boston proper customer. Interesting. It, it, we, we are, we are seeing that our penetration of Pinterest and the way that she uses Pinterest and then uses Boston proper through Pinterest is super important. So we had to, we had to say, okay, we've got to build Pinterest up and make sure we're answering her questions there. We're providing her the resources and the creative content 
content and marketing content that she needs so that we can use Pinterest as a conversion into sales. So we saw a, a big push for ourselves on Pinterest, but also, you know, Facebook is still super important to her and then connecting with her, um, whether it's through Cheryl at Boston Proper, my Instagram site, our Cheryl's loves, like, like I, what I want to do is connect with Lucy because I am, I'm Lucy. I have the same struggle she has. I, I, I live the life she lives. I, when I, when I shop, I try everything on and I give my team immediate feedback on how things are fitting, what's looking good, where we can improve quality, what our challenges are, what the opportunities are when something's great. And I think that real authenticity is what really resonates with Lucy because she knows that we're thinking about her every day. We've obviously spoken about metrics that you're hyper-focused on within Boston Proper and why that is. But one thing I couldn't help but notice um, is that your net promoter score or NPS is extremely high at 74. I think the industry considers within retail that 30 is good (laughs) and that 70 means they love you. So they really love you at Boston Proper. Um, How is that guiding your decision making? There's two parts to that, right? The the one part is, is we have a very loyal Boston Proper customer. I mean, so many of our customers have been with us for years and the likelihood to recommend because she's had such great experiences. Again, you buy something from Boston Proper, you go out and you wear it, you get compliments, you feel, you feel confident in it. Like that just is amazing, right? So I think because we're a small company and our customers are so loyal, that helps the net promoter score. I think our bigger challenge is as we look to grow the company and bring in more women who are 40 plus, how do we get them to love the brand as much and make sure that their net promoter score numbers are as high and keep us in that same zone? you have such a loyal customer base. But in terms of that new customer acquisition, what would you say are the most important strategies or initiatives that you guys have to acquire those new customers? So I think the most important thing for us is going beyond the catalog because, you know, with everything going on with paper and, and postage and, and the, the post office and all, there's like challenges now with the catalog that we've been, we've been working through for the past 18 months. So we knew that we had to figure out as we grow, we have to grow with new customers and we had to then figure out where are these women? So are they on Pinterest? Are they on social? Where are they? And how do we connect with them? Because again, the name of the company alone is a little confusing. So if they just hear Boston proper and they don't actually understand the brand essence and the story behind the brand, they might think, oh, that's a conservative brand. That's not for me. So we've got to make sure that we are where she is. We're making our story relevant and authentic and that she's it's connecting with her and where she is in her life. And what we saw last year was the growth of new was unbelievable. And it's really because our marketing team was super focused in such a maniacal way to be where Lucy was. I mean, we've, we haven't been on TikTok because we're like, oh, Lucy's not on TikTok. Lucy's not on TikTok. Well, Lucy's starting to get on TikTok, right? She wasn't an early adopter of TikTok, but she's now starting to move into there. And I think what, what it does is it shows that Lucy wants some more engagement. 
she's somebody who really wants to be engaged. So how can we do that? Can we do that through Facebook live stories where we're showing her how to, how to wear different outfits, right? We're seeing that our reels and our videos are getting such engagement because Lucy's taking the time to actually look and study and then play that out in her life, how she can look and feel that way. So we feel like that's a, a, the next round of growth for us is really using reels and videos and that connection of not just here's a pretty top, but here's how you wear it three different ways. Yes. And here's how you can wear it to work on a date and on vacation. Those that that whole storytelling is what we think is super important for Lucy and super important for the new customers to buy and shop more frequently. Definitely. I guess that outfitting piece is so huge. And I know it's such an important strategy for you guys and using and understanding those data points of, okay, that specific top, what else is she buying with it? I know our incredible affinities tool that you guys have access to helps surface that data so that you can make sure that when she does come on their e-commerce site, that you're, you know, architecting the site that she's able to find everything that she needs or that she might want to purchase together. And to be perfectly honest, that's where the data helped us because previously, when I first started with the company, we were definitely considered a vacation and occasion destination. And so because of that, our customer frequency was, was low. It was lower than we really wanted it to be because she was coming to us for a specific reason only. And throughout the years, when we were, when we were trying to then say, okay, how do we get her to come to us for work? How do we get her to come for us for her everyday basics? That became a strategy, but we also then had to understand from a product standpoint and a product assortment standpoint, what were the things that she was looking for so that we could build the right basics for her so that they weren't like everybody else's basics, but they were Boston proper basics. How do we then look at the different occasions and not just be thought of as a, a date night or or I'm going to a wedding and I need a dress? So building up the weekend casual was super important and understanding with the data what what pieces was she looking for? What attributes? We, we talk about attributes in design and merchandising all the time because the attributes is are truly the unlock to understanding what she wants. You, know, you can't just look at a knit or a woven or a sweater. You've got to go, you got to peel that onion all the way down to the core to really understand in those categories, what are the things she likes? I think the other way that we've been using edited recently to help make sure we were making sound decision is we're noticing again, you know, as, as inflation and world events and the macro things are going on, we have to, we have to, we have to encourage Lucy to, to, to shop more often with some promos or a little bit of promos or just, just some, some strategies to get her to go to the website and convert. And we were a little nervous because we didn't have to do that for a long period of time. So again, we, we went to edit it to look at our competitive set and see how promotional they've been versus us to make sure that we're not, you know, over promoting or under promoting that we're in line with with what's happening in the industry. Again, normally we do that in an ad hoc way and this allowed us to do it in a very easy data-focused way uh, using edited and our competitive set to give us those details and, and, and provide that knowledge for us so we can make better decisions. Absolutely. Being strategic in that approach ultimately, right? Because there's nothing worse than feeling like you're blind to what is the market doing. Or even if you did want to consider increasing prices, the time it would take and the energy it would take for the team to be able to go and gather that insight you know, that's taking them away from actually making other strategic decisions, which we know are critical to the business and moving them forward. 
Cheryl, I'm very conscious of time, but the one thing I we ask all of our guests is what is the one thing that you would love our listeners to take away from this episode? My Boston proper hat says, go check us out. I mean, we are an incredible brand for women who are 40 plus. We, we take such pleasure in developing and curating clothes that are right for you that if you're struggling or you you just even if you're a fashionista coming to our website and finding the things we do we do a great job in curating clothes for her and making sure their age trend fit appropriate so if you haven't heard of boston proper go check us out and 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 honestly if you have any feedback i'm open to it you just send me a note cheryl.clark at bostonproper.com and i promise you we'll be on it Thank you so much and so excited to, to record this episode and such interesting insights. I think to have, you know, such a, bu- a business which is so different and has such a unique perspective on, uh, on the market and that kind of over 40s for, for women. So thank you very much, Cheryl. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, Grace. Thank you for listening to our latest episode of the Edited Inside Retail podcast. And many thanks to today's guest, Cheryl Clark, the president and CEO of Boston Proper. To see more insights that Edited has, check out the link in the description of this episode. I'm Grace Hill, and I'll see you next time. Bye.